City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, one podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. The All Hornets podcast is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. On today's show, we are joined by Jeff Stotts of InStreetClothes.com and Smart Injury Consulting to review the Charlotte Hornets catalogue of injury issues over the last two seasons. Jeff is the best person in the public sphere to speak to about injuries within the NBA. So I'm very interested to have Jeff on today. Jeff, thank you for joining. Well, I appreciate the kind kind intro, man. I, you know, no one really likes to talk to me because that means their team has got an injury concern or prolonged injury concerns, but I'm always happy to talk. I'm not necessarily the harbinger of doom that uh, I always feel like I am. Absolutely. And I think, I think Hornets fans will be interested to hear from you. Too. I think they will be happy to hear from you because they don't seem to hear that much from the Hornets NBA team, injury team. And I think there's a lot of conjecture, a lot of theory gets thrown around. And I think it'll be really refreshing actually to get some insight from you today. Um, so just let's zoom out a little bit. On your website, instructclothes.com, you take a lot of injury analytics. And over the last five years, the Hornets actually rank second. And over the last 10 years, they rank fourth in terms of injury track record, according to your website. Now, obviously, that has been skewed by the last two seasons, which maybe probably hasn't quite been captured and up to date in that just yet. Uh, Last season, according to InStreetClothes.com, the Hornets ranked 26th in games lost, 29th in minutes lost, and 23rd in salary lost. Um, Jeff, what have you made of the last two years? Well, it's it's been rough, you know. Um, I, I think this is a team that was trying to figure out their identity, who they are, and they've had some injuries to key guys, and that has kind of stunted the growth of really what this potential of this team can be. Um, it's unfortunate, you know, and it starts at the top with Lamelo, but their medical staff is highly regarded and, and deserves to be. Uh, Joe Sharp is one of the best guys in the NBA. You know, his track record is proven. Um, you know, he was. Uh, originally in Charlotte and then went to Oklahoma City. And in his 10 years in Oklahoma City, dealing with the big names like Durant and Westbrook and Harden, uh, they were six times a top 10 finisher, three times a number one finisher and fewest games lost in the league. And that included the times where Durant had some of his foot issues. Westbrook had a couple of his knee issues. So they were able to navigate the health of star players. And when he returned to Charlotte, um, he continued that trend. There were there were four straight top 10 finishes. So the, the problem is injury data can be skewed by one or two big injuries. And I think that's really kind of what, what's happened here with, with the Hornets is they've had 
key injuries to big to, to big names that have been more than just your garden variety ankle sprain. You know, if I look at a team and I see that they're missing a bunch of time for little issues, meaning they've got multiple guys with ankle sprains or hamstring strains or calf strains, these soft tissue injuries that can be dealt with in terms of preventative care, or at least the odds of something happening um, reduced, then maybe, okay, let's do some evaluating. But you look at some of the big injuries since, since LaMelo's gotten there and it's been, you know, an odd wrist fracture for him. Um, then he had the, the ankle fracture, uh, the, uh, the right medial ankle sprain this year, you know, and that's, that's unique. Um, in all of my ankle sprains that I have, a medial ankle sprain is a very, very small percentage of the ankle sprains. So even though we hear ankle sprain, not all ankle sprains are created equal. This is a, instead of it being on the outer aspect of the foot, it's on the inside, which is harder to actually do the, the ligaments there, um, form a triangle. And a lot of times the ankle actually will break before that, that ligament is uh, irritated. Well, we call that an avulsion fracture, but in LaMelo's case, he did sprain that and missed time this year. You know, I mean, shoot, you look at uh, Nicolina's injury this year. He had a tibial plateau fracture in, in the preseason. I have five total cases of that since the 2005, 2006 season. It's a unique injury and it's not one that you can necessarily predict and really focus your preventative care on. Those things happen. Same goes true for Gordon Hayward's scapula fracture a couple years back. You look at the long, long list of injuries that have been impactful in terms of time lost. And a lot of them are just kind of, I don't want to say freak injuries, but unlucky injuries. So have you ever seen something in your like injury track record where a, a team with that like high performing medical team, like you said, has just had two back-to-back -back seasons of what you said, like unpredictable, poor luck. It, it feels, the way it feels among people who follow the Charlotte Hornets is this is, is they have been the the unluckiest team in like back-to-back -back years that, that it could be. I, I mean, I'm not expecting you to have done a full research on that before this podcast, but like just off the top of your head, can you recall any other similar situations? Yeah. I mean, you can look at what's going on in Memphis right now, you know, look at, look at the sheer number of guys they've had, you know, go out with injuries this year. That's, that's, they're actually the only team that has more games lost to injuries in the first half of the season. than Charlotte is Memphis. And, you know, you were looking at a guy like Steven Adams being out Clark being out for the year. Morant's now out, but Desmond Baines missed extended period of time. That that's kind of a blip in the radar because Memphis was technically generally pretty, pretty healthy. Um, another one that comes to mind is Philadelphia and just because they were one of the top ranked staffs for a long time. And then the process started and that shifted their injury numbers. Um, Kevin Johnson, the head of their medical team is great at what he does, but I think he was kind of one of the fallout of, of the process. It started with Bynum's injuries and then led into the drafting of Embiid, knowing he had a navicular injury, uh, Nerlens Noel drafting him, knowing he was coming off an ACL tear. Then you had Ben Simmons suffer his, you know, they had all these number one picks that kept su suffering these weird injuries. Even a guy like uh, Zaire Smith, who had that allergic reaction that sent him to the hospital. You know, these are, these are stuff that's really hard to predict for teams. So anytime we start looking at games lost, you have to understand that there it's, it's more nuanced than just looking at it and saying, Oh, this team is bad at what they do, you know? And, and then the inverse of that is some of the healthiest, healthiest teams don't always result in wins. Uh, one of the top ranked teams for the longest period of time was the Sacramento Kings. That staff was immensely great at keeping their guys healthy. And yet all of that happened around an extended playoff drought. So, you know, it, it's a weird balance to, to find. And, and it is one that I, I know, the Charlotte medical team is trying to figure out. And, and, and the one thing I do also want to throw in there is we have, 
we've a couple other injury analysts and I have kicked around this idea, what we call uh, the death spiral theory. And that may be a little bit dramatic, but bottom line is when you are dealing with one significant injury, that takes time away from preventative care, even with expanded mm-hmm. staffs. Now you're working on rehabbing and it takes away a little bit of time and energy for preventative care. You throw that in with everything that comes with an 82 game season and there's bre- there's bound to be injuries to occur. Injuries are going to happen. That's why I have a job. <laughs> injury injury numbers are not necessarily improving, um, but you can start mitigating risk. And that's where you have to start looking at, at things you can do. And, and sometimes if you have one or two big injuries that are time-consuming injuries, especially for a guy like LaMelo, you know, that, that's going to take away and divert time and investment away from potentially other players and, and, and increase your overall risk potentially. Yeah. Now, I know people follow the Charlotte Hornets will will be screaming through their headphones right now on a couple of particular injuries on purpose, trying to trying to get some input. Um, firstly, Gordon Hayward last year had the fractured scapula and missed some games, but then played through it. And then uh, you may not have seen this, but his wife went onto social media and started saying that the team are forcing players to play hurt um, and later retracted the statement. A fractured scapula is obviously quite, you know, it's a it's a smaller fracture. But like Gordon Hayward playing through that, from your perspective, is that something that as long as it is manageable, it is okay? Or would that be a surprise that he played through that for a period of time? You know, what what could be going on there? And this is me speculating. I don't want, I was not privy to any of the medical sure. information for Hayward. But, you know, a lot of times it can be something just, Hey, there's some discomfort in there and there's no signs or symptoms as to why potentially getting, even getting an X-ray. Sometimes X-rays miss fractures, especially if it's small, we don't actually see the fracture occur until healing has occurred. And then we see, Oh, wow, there's some new bone growth in that area. Maybe you had a little crack in there, you know? So I think there are a couple different things and it's more nuanced than, like I said, than people want to give it credit for. Um, and, and it could have been, okay, you've got some shoulder discomfort. Let's see if we can get you, you know, manage your signs and symptoms, do some ma- routine maintenance and get it to the point where you can perform at a high level. And if you continue to try and it just wasn't working, okay, let's go take a look and see what's going on. Um, yeah. and, and that's a, that's a balance, right? Are, are we talking about a player health? Cause I would say most of the guys want to play, right? The majority yeah. of the players want to play. Um, they're going to do everything they can, even if it's playing limited to play. Um, but you know, you've got to start, finding that balance of short-term and long-term care and, and what does that look like? And it looks different for every player. It looks different for every franchise. And, and that's where, like I said, it's a little bit more nuanced than I think a lot of people w- want to take. And they want to paint this kind of broad brush with injuries and that this is what it should be and this is how it should. And it's just, it's very nuanced. What is that power dynamic between the player, between the medical team? Because there, there is a culture now within fans that if someone has an injury and that you're not in the playoffs, they should be shut down wrapped in cotton wool until next October. Like, and and we know the reality, right? Is that players, like you said, they want to play. They don't know how long they'll be in the NBA for. They like they're competitors. They've done this the whole life. Um, you know, I understand it's difficult, but what is that dynamic when you come to that decision making? And I know it'll vary with different players and teams. I think it boils down to number one, having some trust in your medical staff. And that's where mm-hmm. things can get a little bit difficult. You know, some of the players have their own trainer that they train with, whether it's an athletic trainer or a personal trainer, or, you know, that, that is in their ear saying, Hey, you should be doing this. This is what I would be doing. And that might conflict with what the team's representatives are saying. And that, that can be inherently problematic. 
Um, so, so that's one kind of thing you got to figure out is, is there some trust is, are there potentially any trust issues? And then it's, are we, are we really focused on what's important? That's your long-term health. If you can play and there's not going to open up the door for you to have any kind of significant injury, that's going to potentially derail your career. Yeah. You should, you should probably be playing. You know, I, I think that's one reason why we see, um, incentives and contracts for certain things. We see, um, certain incentives now with the league, with games played and things like that. But but I, I think at the end of the day, you need the, a medical staff needs to have a definitive. This is, and again, it's it's a sliding door a little bit with with the injury and the individual. But hey, you got to meet these markers to play. If you can't, then let's let's not. And you know, maybe take it off the player. It sometimes it's not the player's decision; it's our decision, and and that's hard to do too because you're, you know, um, telling your front office, hey, your best guy's not going to play. You need to be able to tell why, and and that's that's hard. Sometimes that that gets lost in translation. It ends up being, you know, like I said, a trust issue. And so you've got to figure, you got to bridge that gap somehow. Yeah. And that's you know what we do with some of our consulting is is try to bridge that gap between the front office and the medical staff to to make things easier for both, but also do uh, just different ways that we that we can communicate and open up the doors. And then the other player will be Cody Martin, who. Uh, Missed last year. At first, I believe it was reported as a hip issue or a knee issue, or then it, it got flipped around. He kind of tried to come back after a period of time. Obviously, wasn't right. Then got shut down and even came into this training camp after not playing since February. Came into this training. He didn't even play until essentially a full year later. Um, and there's been a lot of speculation around a misdiagnosis because, like I say, they thought it was a hip, inverted referral pain. There's There's been a lot of theories going around. I mean... Um, just explain a little bit about what, what you think, again, I know you won't be LinkedIn specifically, but that kind of situation where a player has, has tried to come back, that's a really long period of time after surgery, you know, he's still rehabbing uh, pain in multiple places throughout the body. Just explain a little bit about what could have been some of the things happening there. Um, well, I, ref I saw one, one spot referred to it as an OCD lesion on his knee. And so that would be cartilage of the knee. So we're talking about a significant injury and cartilage does not grow well. And especially like muscle and bone, bone, bone is great. It, it heals. It returns to its original strength. Uh, ligaments are a little bit more problematic. Muscles take time to do, but they can reach, you know, similar strength, but, but cartilage is really hard to grow. And to return to original strength. You know, previously we might've done something like microfracture surgery, but we've kind of, scaled away from microfracture. Um, you don't, you haven't seen that used quite as much anymore. And there are some advancements that they're trying to figure out in terms of cartilage injuries. But, but if it isn't true, like an OCD lesion, we're talking about the surface of the, of the knee itself, the cartilage that makes it smooth motion being, being disrupted. And so they've got to figure out a way to how to properly treat that issue, maintain that injury so that it's not the signs and symptoms don't return with playing basketball, which is hard to do. And then, Okay, so what do we now that we've got you back playing? How do we maintain you there? What, what what does it look like so that you're not two games on, one game off, three games, you know, here and there? You want to get a guy back, and that takes time. And unfortunately, you know, that results in a lot of games lost, um, and 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 it can be problematic. But I think what you're seeing is them trying to do everything they can for the best long term for Cody Martin. And I, I I like the way they've handled it. I know it's been frustrating in terms of of when is he going to play and that kind of stuff. But if it is true in OCD lesion, I think they're playing it smart. Would that be something that would would ever go away, would cease to be an issue? Or is this more likely something that you have to manage 
you know, throughout maybe the rest of his career. I think he's 26 now, right? So five-ish years, five to eight years left in the NBA. Um, yeah. I think it's something that he could play with. You know, again, we're back to maintenance, right? We're, we're talking about playing with symptoms. Yeah. Um, and, and, and is my movement pattern exacerbating it? That's, you know, that's where we're getting to specifics, right? Like, and that's something they're probably constantly evaluating too. Is there something, some underlying characteristic that was, that caused the injury in the first place? You know, is there an inherent issue there that we, we need to identify and pinpoint? And I think, like I said, all of that takes time and it sounds like that's what they're trying to do. And, you know, I, I, there's not a firm timeline on it, on stuff like that. It's very fluid. Uh, but it, it is definitely one you want to handle careful, carefully for not just his playing career, but for his, you know, quality of life after his playing career, you don't want to be yeah. unable to move. Okay. Um, I mean, looking through the, the data for the Charlotte Hornets, are there any kind of like consistent themes? I mean, you talked a little bit earlier that it does seem kind of random, but is there any, any recent themes that stick out to you? I didn't see anything that was particularly like, oh, wow, they, they should probably look look at this. I, I think teams are constantly doing that. Teams are fully aware of yeah. the injuries they've dealt with. Teams are fully aware of everything that comes with um, their particular injuries. What you're, what I, what I see is a lot of injuries that are difficult to predict. And that's not necessarily something that is <laughs> any more reassuring. It, it's actually probably more frustrating than anything because I feel like they're doing a lot of good things, but again, you look at, they've had some, some thumb and wrist issues. Um, I think it was, was it, was it Ubre that missed some time with, with a hand, yeah. hand ligament tear. Um, Mark Williams as well. Towards yeah. Last year, he had, thumb. He had surgery uh, in the off season on that. Yeah. And so it's just kind of one of those things where you're, you're talking about injuries that you can't really go into the season going, you know what we're going to do? We're going to really focus on reducing our thumb sprains or we're going to, we're going to do our best to really make sure we don't have a tibial plateau fracture. Like that, that's kind of stuff just doesn't, doesn't happen. Now, again, some of the stuff I don't want to say should be expected, but a guy like Gordon Hayward who has a propensity for injury, um, he's probably going to miss some time. And that's just because of his injury history. Right. Like, so, but I don't think anything that he's done has been necessarily like, overly surprising either in terms of, of the time lost and what, what he's, what he's suffered. And again, even he's had those freak injuries like the scapula fracture. Yeah. Okay. Let's move into some of the big name topics here. Lamella ball um, broke his wrist in his rookie year, broke his right ankle last season and has had uh, by this point, four to five sprains, whether you consider them all different sprains, related sprains because of weakness. I, I'm, I'm not even sure. Um, the scariest thing about Lamella Ball, and you actually said this earlier, is that his breaks and sprains, especially like they they look like nothing, right? He hits the floor and it looks like any other time someone's fallen over. And this is like, is it really simple? Can some players just have weak bones? Like, is is that just a thing that can happen? Is could that yeah. be the case with Lamella? Absolutely. You know, um, if you have somebody that's, that's having these reoccurring issues, you might order a metabolic pal panel. What's their diet look like? What's their, you know, bone density, Th those kinds of things. Uh, particularly for a guy that's had multiple fractures, is there something, is some underlying cause? And that's kind of the thing is once yeah. you have one or two things, yeah, let's start looking at some other stuff. Uh, and, and, you know, I would be surprised if I've already done that with Lamello and, and done some evaluating and looking at, at, is there something that we can be doing to help offset? Is there a supple, you know, can we can we help the supplements for this or, or that that are going to help offset some of those issues um, that are that are bugging him? How effective are some of those treatments in in improving, like you say, bone density? Is is it, are we talking like 
minimal percentage impact or can it be actually quite receptive? I would say because these guys are young, because generally speaking, their their bodies are a little bit more resilient, that they generally respond pretty well. Um, now it does take some commitment to doing that kind of, and some, some, some guys it's hard to do, you know, asking a guy to change his diet, asking a guy to do, do, do these certain things can be problematic. It's just, I mean, they're, they're, they're kids, right? Like <laughs> I know what I was eating when I was 25 years old and I would be ashamed of myself if I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and really, you know, you do everything you can to put these guys in the position to succeed. And I, I do, I got, I honestly think Charlotte is doing everything they can to put these guys in the position to succeed. This is not, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to be the one that paints this brush that, <laughs> that Joe Sharp's yeah. the problem here. You know, I, I really do think they're doing everything with the, with what they have at their disposal and doing everything they can to, to, to ensure the health of these players. Yeah. Um, we have to talk about what the Hornets fans called ankle brace gate with Lamelo Ball, where, he came into the season training camp saying he was wearing ankle braces. Then after he re-sprained his ankle, it was revealed that actually he's not been wearing ankle braces because he says he can't play in them. He can't plant his feet. Um, this has become a bit of a, a divisive topic. Um, I guess, firstly, can you talk about what impact do ankle braces have on ankle support? Like what, what research is there out there? How important is this? You know, some people will say they don't matter at all. Some people say Lamelo Ball is not taking his basketball career seriously. Can you give us some expert insight into this field? Well, <clears throat> my personal opinion on braces is I'd like you to rehab and get to the point where you don't need a brace, right? Your body is going to be the best brace. It's biomechanically yeah. designed to help itself. Now, sometimes it's almost like a placebo effect. Just having the brace on there makes the person feel a little bit more comfortable. Great. Sounds good. Let's, let's roll with it. You know, there are so many different designs out there now in terms of ankle braces and you can find ones that are great for specific injuries and things like that fit in the shoe. Great. It, it really just depends on the individual and what they, what they want. The research is a little bit mixed. Some research says it's <clears throat> really, really helpful. Others say it's again, not as helpful as you would think. Um, I, I do think there is, some degree of comfort that you just need to find. Um, if you want to play in ankle braces, even if your ankles are hundred percent great, go for it. If, if you're more comfortable taping, okay, let's, let's get you taped. But ideally, you know, you, you want to be able to go out there and, and trust that your body's going to hold up. Now, again, if over time you've had multiple sprains and that's just not going to work, okay, let's get you in it in, in a brace that is going to help. It's going to supplement in some degree, whether that is uh, through proprioceptive receptors firing. So your body's more aware of what's going on or simply an actual, you know, more and more of a hard brace that's going to, you know, provide stability, but the ankle's tough like that. That's one reason why there's such a wide variety of shoes out there in terms of, of, of basketball shoes there for a couple seasons, I tried tracking shoes and man, it was a headache because so many different models, so many different brands, guys would change shoes at half. They'd go from low top to high top. Every player just about probably has their own orthotic in. So it was hard to really draw a whole lot of conclusion from some of the, the shoe data, um, and I think you're kind of kind of see something very similar with the braces. Interesting. And it was revealed earlier this year that Lamella Ball still has hardware within his ankle following his ankle surgery from this past season. Um, again, could you explain a little bit about what what that hardware could be? Um, will that have to be taken out at some point? Um, and and he talked a little bit about how that affects him planting his his feet at times during this season. And he, you know, he's still suffering from ankle soreness now, even after the sprain. And could that soreness be related to the hardware or could that be related to his latest sprain? 
Um, I know I'm throwing about four different questions at you there, Jeff, but uh, yes. I'll I'll do my best. Um, So the (laughs) hardware is just surgical. You know, it could be anything from a a screw and a plate to to stabilize a certain area. Um, They can suture across the bone if it was a high ankle sprain to help close kind of those two lower leg bones, that space Mm -hmm. in between. Um, sometimes that, that hardware is left in. Sometimes if it become, it can become symptomatic or problematic, they can take it out. Um, it really just depends kind of how the individual responds. Um, as far as what's going on, I really did think it was interesting how the injury report recently for Lamello switched. It went from ankle soreness to uh, ankle tendinopathy. And so, um, that indicates it's, easily be the stabilizers. So he sprained the ligaments and then the stabilizing structures, the tendons of the muscles that help stabilize the ligament were also irritated in the process. And those might take a little bit longer. And those that a tendinopathy indicates there's potentially some tendon damage there, whether that's a mild strain or some tendonitis, something that is lingering. And it's unsurprising given the number of injuries that this guy's gone through, that his stabilizers might be easily irritated if, if the ankle is forced into inversion or eversion. And, and so I like the fact that they've been a little more open calling it tendinopathy instead of just soreness, because that does indicate at least we know, you know, it's not just this vague thing. We know it's potentially, or it is muscle related and that's something that you can work on improving. And then looking big picture, Lamella Ball's injury, you know, looking forward, what can the team do? Obviously he's had multiple ankle injuries. Um, what can the team do? What are the options available to Lamello or to the team you know, is it just the typical keep strengthening the muscles around the ankle? Um, you know, is is that kind of the only option available? Or we saw obviously Steph Curry was someone who had a lot of ankle issues early in his career and then has since essentially avoided them after uh, various, well, after a surgery. Do you, would, do you think it's possible that, again, there is more that needs to be done there? Or is it just more about kind of maintaining and rehabbing and strengthening at this point? Well, the first thing you're going to target is the ankle itself, right? You're going to look at, okay, what do we have any swelling? Do we have any issues with the, with the ankle itself? Is the integrity of the ankle good? Um, what's our range of motion? That's the one people overlook a lot is range of motion, especially in dorsiflexion, is huge for stability of the ankle. So if you can have full range of motion, that's going to be a better indicator and, and a good indicator of overall stability, right? So not just the strength of the muscles themselves. And then you work your way up. Um, that's what you saw happened with with Steph like they realized some of he had some issues along his kinetic chain so if you think of everything like like a chain link um if you have a weak link it's going to be problematic down it's going to affect the entire chain and they actually went all the way up to his his core strength and realized he was having some strength in, in that area some strength deficits in that area that were causing problems in his lower extremities so I'm sure they're doing that with with Lamello doing some kind of you know uh, biomechanical analysis, kinetic chain analysis to see if there's a problem somewhere else that is potentially contributing to the ankle. Sometimes you just sprain your ankle because you came down on somebody, but other times maybe it's you're consistently rolling it because there's some underlying issue somewhere along the kinetic chain. And for Lamella Ball specifically, I mean, you know, I watch every game. Every time he goes for a layup, he takes five or six staggering steps and ends up like falling into a cameraman or falling into a crap. And like, like some players, I, I noticed this, you watch, like they, they go for the layup at full speed, but they're able to come down and stop. And the mellow seems to, like you say, maybe it's connected to that core strength where he is not able to like stop his momentum. He always seems to kind of like very much veer off after making a move in one direction. And that, that stopping ability is something that he really struggles with. 
Yeah, and and it's it's one reason you know we talk about with a guy like Luka Doncic, right? Like his ability to stop, it makes him valuable. His ability to decelerate, you know, you get that motion going forward. It, it's a two way street, and people don't think about that. It's not just the ability to go fast. It's how are your brakes? How do you, how do your what do your brakes look like when they're stopping? And then if you do come down awkwardly, do you know how to fall? And I, as stupid as that sounds, like some some guys just yeah, don't know yeah. how to fall. And and you know we there have been cases in multiple professional sports, um, football. Um, being a big one that guys got to learn how to fall and, and how to protect themselves when, when, when they're taken down less so in basketball, but, but we can talk about, you know, your landing mechanics and how you come down off, you know, are you coming down on two feet, one feet, you know, uh, if someone's underneath you, what are you doing, you know, um, to, to potentially avoid the contact and not necessarily avoid the contact from shying away from getting a foul, but okay. I have had contact. What's that going to look like as I'm coming down? Am I going to be aware of what's going on or am I just, you know, going to be, privy to whatever ever ever happens and that can be problematic as well okay let's move our focus to mark williams who initially missed the game with a back contusion it felt like it was going to be a day or two um he came back and played then we have not seen him since um steve clifford spoke not that long ago saying that he suffered i think a couple of setbacks during his time and that he's actually further away now than he was maybe four six weeks ago um, we've not got any insight into what actually the nature of this injury is. All I think we've seen is is back contusion. It might have listed at one point as a strain, but now it seems to be listed as contusion again. Um, there's a lot of mystery around this one, Jeff. Um, I mean, everyone's just kind of now assuming that back surgery is going to be the eventual uh, outcome here. And I think a lot of people saying, get it done now so you can have more ramp up time into training camp. But yeah, what can you tell us, if anything, about this Mark Williams injury? I'll tell you, this was a weird, weird one for me. And this is this is I've been following this one pretty closely, and you're right, it was kind of back soreness, and then it was a contusion, and then like he was like doubtful for for a couple games, and looked like every yeah. like okay, maybe he would start making progression, and then he and he all of a sudden was just out, and he's been out for a while. Contusion doesn't tell us much. It could be a soft tissue contusion. It could be a bone contusion. Um, you know, the, with the back, one of the big things we focus on is this pain spasm cycle where some underlying issue, whether it's a bone injury, a muscle injury, a ligament issue, um, causes the back to be painful, which causes your back to spasm. So spasm happens and you can get, you know, prolonged inflammation in there, which causes it to hurt, which causes more spasm, which causes it to hurt. And you just get stuck in this, what we call the pain spasm cycle. And it is, it's hard to be functional with the back. It's, it, it is problematic. And so you've got to break that cycle and then treat the underlying cause. So what is causing the pain and spasm cycle? And you can yo-yo in and out of that sometimes. You can make progress and you're feeling good. And then it gets irritated again. You go back into that cycle. Then you got to spend some time breaking that cycle again. And then, then you start treating injury again and, and so on and so forth. It can be a pretty vicious cycle. So, you know, I, again, it's hard to tell if this is muscle bone or, or anything else. Cause we don't really know. We just know this contusion, but you know, it's not so overly surprising to see a back issue linger, but to have it called a back contusion and continue to linger suggests maybe there's something, something more going there. But again, I, I, who knows at this point. Yeah. And for especially like seven foot bigs with back issues, I've seen Steve Kerr talk about this before that, you know, like people try and avoid back injury at all costs. I think I might've heard JJ Reddick said this on a podcast that like, that is the, the very last option that you go to and that you try to do everything you can to rehab it. 
Uh, one, like, can you confirm, is that kind of the, the culture within the NBA? Does, is that what you see? And then also, why is that the case, if so? So this is kind of a blanket statement here with any injury, right? Last thing you want to do is surgery. That needs to be the last option because you can't undo that once it's been done, right? Like once you go in there for whatever reason, whether it's back, knee, ankle, whatever, you can't undo that. And so it needs to be the last resort in terms of, of approach. And part of it is because the, the back bears so much weight, um, especially for big guys, right? We're talking about a ton of weight, gravity pulling us down through our lower back, Um and then, then, oh, and by the way, we're going to ask you to jump and we're going to ask you to explode upward a lot. And it's just a lot of repetitive motion. And so that's an area that is constantly loaded, whether that's, you know, just from walking around, but also the nature of the injury. And then, then we're talking about, okay, you're also on a plane traveling and now you're sitting on the bench and probably some uncomfortable chairs and, and those kinds of things can contribute to, you know, um, the back is a, is a very complex thing, particularly for athletes. Uh, which is why it's hard to just completely dismiss, oh, he's just got a back contusion. There's probably something more going on, and hopefully we'll, we'll get some more insight down the road. And, and hopefully it's maybe it's it's positive news, right? Like, okay, we feel like we've gotten this under control, and he's on his way back. Yeah, and I think what sometimes I think people confuse with the Hornet specifically is uh, the communication regarding injuries and the injury treatment themselves. So, for example, Gordon Hayward, it was he's going to be reevaluated in one week. You know, that's in early January. Uh, we're four weeks later and there is not a single update. Now, some people interpret that as well. Did the Hornets ever reevaluate him? Like, and of course they will have reevaluated him, but that communication hasn't been then subsequently made. And the, the inconsistencies that seem to come from that, from the Hornets, I actually can sympathize with a lot of fans because sometimes we receive updates and sometimes we don't. And if you're going to say you're going to reevaluate, then just say what the outcome of that reevaluation is, right? Even if it's, we need two more weeks to reevaluate again. And I think at times people link that down to the responsibility of the medical team. And I, I don't know if it is, it's, it's lost somewhere between communication and medical team. I don't know quite know who is responsible, but I think it's important that people don't just equate those to one another. A hundred percent. You know, it's, it's so frustrating to, I mean, so I guys, every single day I'm, I'm looking at injury information. I read every single injury report. I visit every, <laughs> possible website out there. You know, I'm, I'm listening to press conference. I'm watching games. This is what I do. And every tag that I have that says reevaluated almost never, you know, it's not just the Hornets. It's not just. It is, it is an issue. And really it becomes one of those things where it's okay. Even when they say, okay, and back in four to six weeks, that might be back to the court basketball related activities. Does that mean that does not mean return to play? So you kind of have to, do your best to kind of gauge and, and wade through that and, and, and make, make, make estimates of that kind of thing because we don't always necessarily, the guy, these, these guys are getting reevaluated every single day. They come in and they, you know what I mean? They're giving subjective information to the, to the clinician, the clinicians then using, you know, all his skills to find objective information. That's a reevaluation right there every single day, you know, um, Maybe reevaluation to some means he, he goes in for a subsequent MRI or a subsequent medical testing imaging. But, you know, don't get lost in those terms too much. Just understand that. And, and again, some teams are great. They're really super transparent and their their injury reporting is meticulous. It's very detailed. You can get the exact muscle involved and other teams just don't. And I, I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a it's fear of a competitive advantage or things like that. But I, I think it's up to the, the, the individual team 
front office and medical staff to ultimately dictate what information gets out there. Yeah. Well, Jeff, that is everything on my list. Um, thank you so much. That was uh, extremely interesting um, to get your insight into some of these. All we can hope is that this Hornets injury lunk turns uh, very soon, and hopefully we'll see Mark Williams back in the court. Um, like you say, it's reassuring to hear that you know you have a positive things to say about the medical team. I know listeners will be um, probably confused to be hearing that you know when you look at the results, but this isn't like say. This isn't one of those things. There is an element of like luck within this, and it is very difficult to assign everything on, on the medical team. So I appreciate your time and your insight. Appreciate it for having me on.